All right. Long time no see. <laughs> Hold on, I got that song killed my voice. <clears throat> well, there's a lot of stuff I want to say, but I'm not going to say because I, we, I only have so much time to say the stuff that I should say, so I don't want to say a bunch of stuff that I don't say, like everything I just said. So we're going to be in Genesis, Genesis chapter 2. Um, I'm enjoying just every opportunity I get to teach to trek through the book of Genesis with all of you, and, and uh, uh, what, a, what a blessing it is. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. So Genesis chapter 2, if you guys remember my uh, little outline I gave you from the last time I taught Genesis 1, I said, he forms, he fills, and he blesses. Tonight we're going to continue in that. A couple things to remember is the word Genesis, it means beginnings. And it's exactly what we see in this book. It's the beginnings. Beginning of the universe, beginning of life in general, beginning of man, marriage, beginning of language, government, nations, and specifically Israel. If you could outline it, chapters 1 through 11 would be the beginning of all nations. 1 and 2 is the creation, 3 and through 5 is the fall, 6 through 9 is the flood, and 10 through 11 is the index of nations. And if we ever get there, I'll give you the outline for the second half of the book. So God forms, God fills, and God blesses. Day 1, he created the universe. Day 2 was the sky and seas. Day 3, the earth. Day four, he filled the universe with stars and planets and moon. Day five, he filled the sky and sea with birds and sea monsters. And day six, he filled the dry land with animals and man. So we see in the first part, he, part he, is, he is forming, then he fills. And now tonight, we're going to see him bless his creation. The story is going to zoom in and focus on the pinnacle of God's creation, which is us, which is man. This is not in my notes, and I'm going to say it. There's an interesting thing that I learned once upon a time. I can't remember where it was, but it's got to be true. From everything on the spectrum of size that we know, from the biggest star in the galaxy to the smallest subatomic atom there is, man lies right in the middle of that size chart. So we are the pinnacle, the reason of God's creation. As we read chapter 2, I want you to keep in mind that some people will say chapter 2 is a contradiction to chapter 1. It's not. It's giving us actually more detail to the very specific day when God created man, which was a normal Jewish way to teach. They would describe an event, and then they would give detail. So we're going to see three things that God blesses Adam with. And the first one is rest. But let's read this. Chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heaven and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb in the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden. And from there it parted and became four river heads named, first was the Pishon, is the one which skirts the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good, but Bledlidium and onyx stones are there. The name of the second river is Gihon, in which one goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Hidekel. It is the one which goes towards the east of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whenever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So, God, or so Adam gave names to all the cattle, to all the birds, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a helper found comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord, then he, the, then he had take, God had taken from which he had made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. So the first three verses of this chapter, we're going to see God bless Adam with rest. God creates for six days, then he sanctifies, or he sets apart a a seventh day for a purpose. Keep in mind that this wasn't because God was tired. God wasn't like, oh man, I just need a little nappy poo. This has been a lot of work creating the entire universe and everything that's in him. He also wasn't out of ideas. God didn't get to the platypus and be like, well, I've created a duck beaver thing. I'm just recycling parts at this point, so it's time to change it up. To be honest, God never actually stopped working at all. The book of Colossians says that through him, all things consist or held together. So I'm glad, I'm glad, and we should all be glad that God doesn't take a day off or else this world will come apart. So why did God rest? Why was it set apart? And what was it set apart for? Jesus says in Mark chapter 2 that the Sabbath was made for man. Now he was making a point to the Pharisees that man was not made so the Sabbath could exist. It wasn't made so you could come up with all of your rules about it. The Sabbath was made for man. It was formed by God, put in the Ten Commandments, and it is a way of life and how life works best. From the very beginning, God sanctified a day to take it easy, to chill out with family, to focus on the Lord. The Jews were to rest one day in seven. They were also given seven separate holidays throughout the year to rest. And they were even supposed to rest every seventh year for a year, which we're never told they did, but it's kind of outrageous that you wouldn't, you can hear, you can have a year off, go for it. Um, We're never actually told they did. So that was God's original idea for his people with the Sabbath. But here's the question. Does God still intend for his people to take one day in seven to rest? There are different reactions to this, different reactions to the Sabbath in general. One of the first reactions is that people hate it. The Romans mocked the Jews big time. How can you possibly take a day off and conquer the world? There's no rest. We can't take a day off. We got things to do. We got got people to slay. Cultures today do that too. 
Our flesh, we do it in our flesh. Something in our flesh says, I don't need a day off. Well, unless you like naps, then something in your flesh says, I need more than one day off. But something in us, though, when it comes to work, we, we say, I can take it. Bring it on. Rest is for the weak. Give me the work. Our own flesh hates the idea of a Sabbath sometimes because of the, the almost adrenaline-fueled culture that we live in today. Some hate it. Some pretty much just ignore it. They agree with the concept, but, you know, I'm, I'm working two jobs. I got the kids. There ain't no time for a day off. My personal excuse? Oh, is I always, I got to put food on the table. We need that bread. Bread. If you remember bread from Exodus 16. God's people were hungry and complaining, so he caused manna to come down. He said, gather enough for each day, but don't keep it overnight, or it will breed worms, except on the sixth day. He said, gather enough for your day of rest. The people didn't listen. They came out on day seven and found no manna. God was trying to prove a point that he did not want them working on that seventh day. You say, well, that was true for them, but, but it's, it's not for me. I'm, I'm getting ahead. I'm getting bread. And maybe you are, but it's not going to amount to anything. I had this thought in this very part of my teaching, and I was thinking, what is that bread getting you? Is that, is that giving you more money to buy another idol in your life that's keeping you separate from God? It's not going to amount to anything, because God's commands, the Ten Commandments, they're there to bless us. They're good for us. Even if you say, oh, I'm not tired, I don't need rest, it's not just about physical fatigue. God wasn't tired. But he knows what we need, and he gave us the day of rest. So you have people that hate it. You have people that ignore it. And some people like to explore it a little bit. They say, well, you know, I'm going to try this idea of obeying God's word, but only like 40% of the time, which I would say is better than hating it or ignoring it, but it still isn't enough, right? You don't explore the commands of God. Husbands or wives, you wouldn't like if your partner came to you and said, well, today I did a great job of exploring not trying to commit adultery. I don't tell my daughter Jane as a parent, okay, that's the street. Now I want you to explore not running into that. I want you to explore not sticking the, the, the fork in the socket, which is a new thing that she's trying to do. Please pray for us. <laughs> Our commands to them, they're not to be explored. They're to be obeyed. It's the same. How much more is it for the Lord to us? People hate it. People ignore it. People explore it. And now this one. There's people who worship it. So we looked at Mark 4 earlier. The Pharisees, they had strict interpretations of what you could, could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. And part of that was seeing it as the only day to worship. Now we have that today. The Seventh-day Adventist church is one of those. Now, I've met some good people that go to the Seventh-day Adventist church. I believe there's people in that church that are worshiping Jesus and they do love him. It's not quite on the same level as the Jehovah Witnesses or Mormons that is more cult-like. But they do have some weird, unorthodox beliefs. One of them is they say that we should worship on Saturday and not Sunday. And it's not just that. The, the, the problem is that there's a looking down on people who do church on Sunday morning, which last time I checked, that was us. Some other people do this with other Old Testament things. We, we, studying, any of you that's been going to church for a long time, especially I think in Calvaries, but other churches, you study the feasts. And studying the feasts, especially like Passover, it's awesome. We see the picture of Christ in all these feasts. But some people think that as Christians, we need to do it the exact same way the Jewish people did. 
They say we must worship on Saturday. Sunday is an abomination. People will even go as far as to say that because we worship on Sunday, we've taken the mark of the beast. They get this idea because in 312 AD, Constantine changed the day we worship from Saturday to Sunday to incorporate pagan traditions into the church. The Romans worshiped the sun on Sunday, so Constantine changed it. Then Constantine said that the early church never ever worshiped God on a Sunday, and to do so is an abomination. The reality is, though, is the Sabbath's never changed. It's always been the seventh day, which for us, Saturday. And I believe, I'm sorry, the sixth day, not the seventh. Uh, and I believe God still commands us a day of rest from us. But to say that the early church never worshiped on a Sunday, that's tough considering that Acts 27 says, now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, right here, we see the early church meeting on Sunday. I'm not saying that they didn't worship on Saturday as well. I was talking to my wife about this, and we came to this conclusion that Saturday was probably a beautiful day where families worship together. Imagine, just imagine if as a, as a nation as a whole, or, or even as families as a whole, if we all stopped for one day in seven, and we spent just that day together. You know it would bless you. You know it would bless your family. You know that if we all did that as a nation, it would bless us. But Christians would meet on Sunday, and I believe celebrate Christ raising from the dead. Matthew 28 says this. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the angel, went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. But the angel said to the woman, Don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. He said, Come, see the place where he lay. Jesus rose on a Sunday. So I have no problem agreeing that we gather together on every Sunday to basically celebrate an Easter every week. 1 Corinthians, another, another good verse of, of the church coming together is 1 Corinthians 16. On the first day of the week, every week, each of you is to put a, uh, something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. There was also no opposition in the church meeting on Sunday in the first century and even closer to the second Justin Martyr, who is one of the early church fathers, wrote this in 150 AD. And on the day called Sunday, all who live in cities or in the country gather together in one place, and writings of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. Sunday is the day on which we all hold our common assembly because it is the first day on which God, having wrought a change in the darkness in matter, make the whole world. And Jesus Christ, our Savior, on the same day arose from the dead. Another church, Father Irenaeus, wrote this a few years after that in 178 AD. He said, the mystery of the Lord's resurrection may not be celebrated on any other day than Sunday. Now, I disagree with him in that, but the whole point of why I'm quoting him is to show you that early Christians did meet on Sunday, way before Constantine caused his problems in the church. So we can't actually be worshiping the day itself. That's the whole point. It's the principle. We need to practice the worship of a heavenly father who gave to Adam a day of rest. To be honest, we really don't know what day the Sabbath is, actually. I mean, we want to say, oh, yeah, I've been to Israel. The elevator's closed. They don't use any electricity. Yes, that's what we, it is now, Saturday. But in Genesis chapter 2, this was before men like Sosignes added three months to the year 46 B.C., giving it 445 days. The calendar we have today was commissioned by Pope Gregor VIII. 
And when Britain adopted the Gregorian calendar in 1752, they moved the dates up and 11 days disappeared. George Washington found his birthday moved from February 11th to February 22nd. So in light of this, we can't really know which day was Saturday. It doesn't matter. We can't live the day. We must love the Lord. And we got to have a day. There should be a day of difference in our lives. Paul said this to the Colossians. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come. But the substance is Christ. It's not about the day. It's about the Lord. It's about Jesus. Some people, they're not obsessed with it being on a specific day and condemning others because they're not practicing it on a specific day. They're obsessed with the duty. I've heard I've, story after story of certain ministry workers that, that they will use this as an excuse. I can't come over after church because it's the Sabbath. You know, ideally, I shouldn't even be at church. Or they say, yeah, I can't visit someone in the hospital. What do you do as a pastor then? I don't understand. <laughs> if you can't go hang out with somebody after church and you can't, you can't go to the hospital visits on these certain days, it sounds to me like the Pharisees. They added all these burdens to the Sabbath and became more of a curse rather than a blessing. It's not about the day or the duty. If someone wants to worship on Saturday, hallelujah, praise God. I appreciate their convictions, but I'm going to reject their condemnation of others. Paul writes in Romans, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So let's not hate it or ignore it or just try it out, but let's try to respect it. Your argument is, well, we're New Testament believers. We're not under the law. True, we are saved by the grace of God and our belief in Jesus Christ. And yes, I agree, Jesus is a picture of our Sabbath. And not only a picture, he is our Sabbath rest. But we still can't argue that the law isn't good for us. John, 1 John 5.3, he says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. So we all understand that no one has ever been justified by the law. Not in the day of Moses, not in our day, even Abraham, he was justified by faith. The law shows our desperate need for a savior, but the law is not only God's wisdom for us. John says it's his love towards us. God knows how we are. We will just keep pushing ourselves pretty much until we die. I told you last time we were together, I told you a story about that Japanese man who was 25 and he had a heart attack just from working seven days a week, 365 a year. 12 hours a day, never taking a break. God wants to intervene that weekly. David said, he makes us to lie down in green pastures. One of my favorite pastors will say, you can either lie down or you can be made to lie down. It's your choice. He knows me. He has to make me chill. He says, Jordan, you need to take a day off. Don't work. Reflect on me. And that's what it is. Sabbath means a rest or an intermission to what you normally do. Sabbath, rest. So other than rest, God blessing Adam with rest, he also blessed him with a home. God gave Adam a place to oversee and care for. In verse 4, there is this phrase. Look at it. It says, the history of. Now, a lot of scholars believe that when it says this, there's a change in the source that Moses is using. It's also translated in some Bibles as this is the generation of, and it's used 13 times in the book of Genesis. And, and people think that Moses, uh, however he got the resources to write the book of Genesis, whether it was direct 
intervention from the Holy Spirit into his life or if it was writings that Joseph had put in Egypt when he was there. They think that this is an actual firsthand account from Adam from verse 4 on. Either way, from verses 4 to 17, we see a garden. Imagine this garden. Imagine it because of who the gardener is. He's got his own custom fabricated sprinkler system. There was no rain. We, rain is, is chapter 6. Rain is during the flood. The garden was filled with fruits that were pleasant to look at, pleasant to eat. The garden was given a caretaker, Adam. And he was formed from the very ground. If you ever look it up, I don't know if I'm going to use, say, Google it or not, but you find that the same elements that make up the dirt are the same elements in our body. If you've ever listened to Jackie, Pre I know that in, in the year's time, I've heard Jackie say this multiple times in his sermon, that we're just a bunch of dirt clouds blowing around, bumping into each other, getting mad at each other. The difference, though, about a dirt cloud in us is that God breathed life. He breathed the breath of life into Adam. And he's given an eternal spirit. Now we're told a few details about the Garden of Eden. Mainly, there's four rivers. Some say we don't know where two are, but two are the Tigris and the Euphrates. And people to believe that uh, Eden today is what is modern-day Iraq. The only, the only problem is that Genesis chapter 6, when the flood happens, the flood is going to change a ton of things on the earth. Peter said for this, they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth was standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. So we don't really know if today's Tigris and Euphrates are really them, or maybe somebody just named them those in remembrance of what the world was like beforehand. What we do know is God gave Eden to Adam as a blessing. It was a place of beauty. It was a place of comfort. It wasn't burdensome. Remember God said at the end of creation that everything was very good. When God said everything was very good, he meant to Adam that for Adam, everything is going to be so good. The garden watered itself. Good to be Adam. Fruit grew in abundance. It was good to be Adam. Later on, we learned that God walked through the garden with them. It was good to be Adam. But we got to remember that it was a home with a choice. Verse 16, God placed a tree in the middle of the garden. He said, don't eat of it. We're going to talk about that maybe in the future, but that's a whole sermon in itself. We need to understand that with this tremendous blessing came tremendous responsibility. There was a choice to either follow him, to do what he asked us, or go in the opposite direction. The same is true for us now along with the rest we've been given, we've been given a place of responsibility and leadership. I don't care if it's just your own life. Think about, even if it's just your own life, what God has entrusted to you. The sphere, the influence that you have. Some of you are husbands and wives and have families and children and grandchildren, and you have a mega sphere of influence. Some of you are bosses and employers and employees who have a sphere of influence there. God's given us responsibility. So it's up to us. We can honor the Lord with our lives or we can do things our own way with disastrous consequences. So the last thing that God blesses Adam with is a helpmate. Now this one deserves a whole sermon in itself. So next time, 
we're together, Lord willing, we'll talk about that one. But think about what Adam's life was meant to be like. He was to walk with God, love his wife, and tend his garden. Walk with God, love his wife, and tend his garden in paradise. I believe Christ coming and dying for us and us believing in that and him filling us with the spirit, that, that same truth still applies. I would say, men, God wants you to tend your garden and love your wife. Wives and husbands together, tend your garden, walk with God and love each other. I know that most of the time I've just been sitting here focusing on Adam because we just got to Eve. I don't want to leave anybody hanging, but we'll have to talk about that next time. God created Eve from Adam's rib. That body part is very important and significant. I know we think of it as just like a rib, and I've heard different teachings about the rib. I've heard that the rib is actually the only bone in your body that can grow back, and I've heard other people translate it that it was like actually blood and, and uh, whatever, whatever, however God did it. I love what this commentator says, Matthew Henry from 100 years ago. He said, uh, women was not made from his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected by him, and close to his heart to be his beloved. Hopefully the ladies understand that. I'm still, I'm still working on it, but we're getting it figured out. We've only been married for five year, four years, so <laughs> still working on that part. I'm sure we all are. But Adam is in, is in this garden walking. He's got the spirit of God that God breathed into him. Uh, think, that spirit, that one breath of life has lasted, you might debate me on this, but I'm going to say probably almost 7,000 years. 7,000 years later, life is still going on. Life in man is still going on. The responsibilities that God has given us is still going on. So whether you choose to rest or not, or, or tend your garden, or be a helpmate or not, I, we all fail in all of these areas. So I, I, I know that I fail at resting. I need to take a rest from trying to rest. Because me, resting becomes this battle against anxiety, and, and uh, I usually lose and have to go jog three miles to work it out before I go back in and try and take a nap again. But it's not the same for everybody. I, I honestly think that if we practice this, Whatever day it is. I'm not saying rest on Saturday, rest on Tuesday, rest on Monday. It might change. I think that we should rest. I think that, yes, Jesus is our rest. But God originally created this, and we haven't changed. If anything, life's gotten worse for us since we've fallen. So we can leave it at that. Rest in the Lord. Tend your garden and love your wife. I'm out of words. I thought this was going to be much longer, but it wasn't. I'm sorry. You guys are probably happy. So let's stand real quick. Let's uh, uh, just say a prayer before we leave. And just, just uh, sing out. This verse was on my heart when we did this. Spirit, Spirit of the living God. And I'm thinking of, of God breathing this spirit into Adam.
and how it's God's desire to do that. I think of, I think of Jesus in with the uh, uh, apostles. And it says that he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. How true that is for us. And how desperately we need God to breathe on us. How desperately we need to be filled with his spirit. As Paul said, be being, 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 being filled. Be constantly filled. Be constantly working at being filled by the spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, which is dissipation. But be filled with the spirit. We need to constantly be seeking the Lord. We need to constantly be worshiping the Lord, singing praises to him, and honestly, around each other. Jesus said that that if, if us being evil fathers would not withhold a gift, a good gift from our children, how much more would God give us the spirit if we asked for it? That's a pretty powerful truth. That's a pretty glorious thing to hear. So we could say, thank you, Lord, for the, for the breath that you breathed in Adam so many thousands of years ago. And that same breath can give us life now, and that same breath is going to go on into eternity. Where we're forever worshiping you, we're forever tending our garden, loving our wife, and, being, and, and doing these things all in one, but because it's, all, it's just going to be about you. It already is just about you, Lord. Help us to, to have that, see that vision and, and, and have our focus beyond that. Father, we thank you so much for your word and we thank you that your word is alive and that we can look at, at chapters that are so, from so long ago, but yet have so much truth in them today and have so much life in them still today. And help us. Help us to be good stewards of what you've given us. Help us to be good stewards of the knowledge that we have. Whatever each one of our gardens is, Lord, if it's our, if it's our, our uh, family, our children, our, our work, our, our sphere of influence, our relationships with friends, Lord, whatever that garden is, the, the ministry that you've given us, God, may we tend it with a joyful heart with thankful praise. And Lord, we are, we are a tired people that need rest. God, we are. We're tired, Lord. We, we do need rest. And we thank you that we can rest in Christ and that Christ has given us rest from opposition on every side. He's forgiven us our sin and he's given us a glorious freedom and glorious access to a throne of grace and we thank you for that we just cry out Lord before we leave here Lord that we we would have a fresh filling of your spirit a fresh anointing a fresh vision just a fresh breath from you Lord marriages that need to be blessed families that need to be blessed jobs that need to be blessed Help each of us in all of those areas, God, as we just sing and worship to you. We also pray this out loud, God, that, that the spirit of the living God would fall afresh on us. It would renew our hearts and minds. Help us to just slow down and look at you. 
Thank you, Jesus.